0: Welcome to Season 7 of American Political History, The Dominion of New England, The Glorious Revolution. King James II was trying to break the cultural barrier against Catholicism, himself a Catholic. So he publicly backed the idea of freedom of conscience that had been developing in the American colonies. He found ready allies with the Quakers, Puritans, and Catholic Americans. Although the Puritans had originally sought to develop their colony around conformity to a singular Puritan ethos, they had come to understand, through the flip-flopping policy coming from Whitehall, that the only way they would receive a freedom to pursue their own Puritan views was through the freedom of conscience for all Christian denominations. But King James II had done little to normalize the idea of Catholic monarchs in England. Begrudgingly, English society had accepted him. But when King James II had a son that was born in June of 1688, that son signaled a Catholic dynasty for the throne of England. The political climate in England and Parliament had no interest in freedom of conscience that established a Catholic dynasty that would rule England. When the politics turned ugly with the possibility of violence once again, King James II relocated himself and his family to the safety of France. Parliament saw this action of the king and generously interpreted it for themselves as King James II's desertion from the English throne, and by default, therefore, he had abdicated his rights to the throne of England. They then offered Queen Mary, King James II's eldest daughter, who was a Protestant and married to William of Orange, the King of Netherlands, an invitation for them to take the throne of England. William of Orange accepted the invitation and landed with a Dutch army on November 5, 1688. This invitation to the new monarchs was on the thinnest of excuses, but the excuse was in alignment with the general consensus of the English population. William and Mary accepted being the new monarchs of England. Everything had worked out gloriously. In June of 1689, Parliament formally offered the Crown of England to William and Mary, but Parliament had a few stipulations. The incoming monarchs would formally accept the Bill of Rights, that had caused the contentiousness with the crown since the English Civil War. These rights included Parliament's right to approve new taxation, the Englishman's legal superiority over his home, that is, the castle law that we have discussed before, and freedom of conscience within your home. These terms were accepted, and William and Mary would jointly be coronated on April 11, 1689. The Glorious Revolution was accomplished. The Catholic threat ended, and all without the bloodshed of another civil war. News of the new monarch's coronation reached America sometime in May of 1689. No one knew what the new monarch's colonial policy would be, and it very quickly meant the dissolution of the Dominion of New England. Governor General Andros immediately faced opposition on all fronts. But just as there was no bloodshed in England, there was no bloodshed as the American colonies rid itself of the Dominion of New England. In Massachusetts Bay, Governor Bradstreet took charge of the situation and called for a convention of representatives from each of the Massachusetts towns to re-establish their colonial assembly. Plymouth and Boston separated their formerly merged governments. And a few months after that, Rhode Island followed suit, ditching the Dominion. New York was different. Unlike the other colonies, it did not have a long tradition of representative assemblies. New York City had also been the de facto capital of the Dominion of New England. New York would settle into a malaise of indecisiveness. Whitehall was paralyzed, waiting for directions from the new monarchs. Albany started to prepare for war with France and its Algonquin allies. The denial of the English throne to a Catholic ally who retreated to the protection of France was a grave insult. Choosing to appoint a Dutch king in the place of a Catholic monarch favorable to France was cause for war. All of New York's letters petitioning Whitehall were all sitting in a queue, but Whitehall was focused on the geopolitical politics of a potential war with France and Europe. The New York colony's political maze was broken when what would become known as Lester's Rebellion happened. Much like Nathaniel Bacon, Jacob Lester was a man of means, who took a place at the head of a political movement already in process. When the governor of New York sailed back to England, intent on getting a physical audience with someone important at Whitehall or the king, Jacob Lester, with accomplices, would seize the New York City government. And in the time-honored tradition of trying to curry favor with monarchs, Jacob Lester would proclaim New York's support for the ascension of William and Mary. Jacob Lester then called for election of delegates from all the New York counties to a convention of representatives to form an assembly of New York. When Albany and several other counties failed to send representatives for this delegation, it was decided that Jacob Lester would become the interim commander-in-chief of the New York colony until such an assembly could be brought together. In October, when Schenectady was raided by a group of Algonquian nations that had allied themselves with France, Albany would send representatives to New York to curry favor for support for their frontier defenses. A year and a half later, When the newly appointed Governor Slaughter arrived in New York, his first action was to arrest and execute Jacob Lester for treason. Then he gave a general amnesty and pardon to anyone else that supported Lester's rebellion. Governor Slaughter was intent on bringing the colony to heel, but having it become productive quickly. In Maryland, which was never part of the Dominion, it too experienced its own political turmoil. Lord Baltimore was absent from his colony for over five years. The government had been in the hands of his council, which was comprised of his hand-picked friends and family. In 1688, Lord Baltimore had sent William Joseph to serve as president of the Maryland Council. He had completely failed to ingratiate himself with the population of Maryland. His first action was to unnecessarily lecture the entire assembly on the subject of divine right doctrines of governments, that is, monarchs are divinely chosen. This was never really any sort of issue in Maryland. He then revealed that he came with instructions from Whitehall to prohibit the export of sub tobacco leaf from Maryland. Subgrade tobacco leaf had been used as filler and hogshead which had been shipped back to London and this had drawn the ire of London merchants who had lobbied Whitehall. He also declared that all rents must be paid in hard English currencies. This was an enormous burden on Maryland farmers, who had always been able to pay their taxes in tobacco. Hard currency was rare in the colony itself, and it was almost unheard of in rural parts of Maryland. The frontier settlements were already angry and on edge because they were being attacked by the Urduquai nation. The actions of the new president of the Maryland Council folded nicely into the all-encompassing return of the vast Catholic conspiracy. And how could it not be? the Catholic French were strengthening the Algonquian natives attacking them. The monarchy in England had just about been usurped by a Catholic dynasty. The Lord Proprietor of Maryland had been gone for half a decade, only to send a jabbering old fool to deal with their assorted problems. Incompetency or conspiracy? In February of 1689, Lord Baltimore sent a letter back to Maryland with orders for the colony to declare for William and Mary this would have made Maryland one of the first colonies to declare for the new monarchs. Unfortunately, the messenger carrying the letter died en route across the Atlantic. So by late 1690, Maryland had still not declared proper support for William and Mary, making it one of the last colonies to declare support for the new Protestant monarchs. It had gotten so bad by the end of 1689 in Maryland that there were open rumors about taking matters into our own hands suggestions that someone should round up the Catholic authorities and do what must be done. What would become known as Annes's Rebellion would be contained to the western side of the Chesapeake around the town of St. Mary's. St. Mary's was easily seized, and then the rebels published a list of grievances against their proprietor's government. They then called for county delegates to form a special assembly which would meet at Natchez. In August, the assembly in the time-honored tradition of currying favor, announced their loyalty for the new monarchs. They then attempted to set up direct communication lines with Whitehall. They believed that they needed the population of Protestants to be able to directly talk to the Protestant crown. The popular support with the Catholic conspiracy was in the minds of the rebels. But unlike other American rebels, they weren't asking for extra freedoms. They were asking Whitehall to intervene and take control of the colony directly. In 1691, a royal governor would arrive in Maryland to now administer the colony. In Albemarle County, Carolina, there was political trouble brewing, but this time it only had the timing to have any association with the Glorious Revolution. Governor Seth Sothel was viewed as a tyrant who disregarded the liberties of his people, and he had managed to ostracize some of the most prominent local planter families and the crown's custom agent. So one day a militia of armed men showed up at the governor's residence and forced him to renounce his authority as governor and leave the county immediately. In almost every American colony, locals had taken back their governments from King James II's officials, and they awaited the consent of their new monarchs for taking these actions against the crown's authorities. The new monarchs were too busy to be bothered by the minor nuances at the edge of the empire. King William was negotiating the final text on what would become known as the Bill of Rights of England. Parliament was legislating the Toleration Act, which would lift punishments for Christian religious dissenters while leaving special privileges to the Church of England. And within a month of taking the throne, England would declare war on France. This conflict would continue for almost a decade. King William was personally pressed with many other matters, but he himself had never found colonial matters all that interesting. His first inclination was to leave colonial issues to Whitehall, the same body which had just launched the Dominion of New England. But Whitehall is a creature concerned with pleasing the current monarchs. Without King James the Second's vision of a unified English colony, Whitehall took the path of least resistance, which best mirrored their new king's favor. Suddenly, the priority had shifted to getting American colonies back to making money, England was about to be engaged in a war with France, and wars are very expensive. Pre-Dominion, the colonies had mostly been a source of revenue for the crown. Whitehall was perfectly okay with handing back authority to a bunch of American colonies, now mostly administered by royal governors, who would oversee these unique colonial representative assemblies. So long as they made money. But Whitehall did make one change. Since the imposition of the Dominion of New England may leave a bitter taste in some of the colonial governments, Whitehall decided to shuffle its administrators. Edward Andros would become governor of Virginia. Edward Randolph would be the regional customs agent for North America. And just as the colonies were to be given fresh starts from the Dominion of New England, so it was expected that the king's men were to be given fresh starts in different colonies. It was as if the Dominion of New England had never happened. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating, and share the show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.